Hello listeners, I'm Jodine Carpenter and this is Metaphysics. Now an overview of metaphysics. When we think of the word being, there are many things that could come to mind. If you should think about anything really, let's say a house, a metaphysician would ask what type of thing is it? What type of house is it? Or what is its purpose? Is it a necessary thing or is it a contingent thing? In general, metaphysics deals with what really exists and how that thing exists. So being another branch in philosophy, there are various explanations that were given by various philosophers to try to explain what really is or what really exists or what is the nature of an object or an idea or a concept. So among those philosophers are Aristotle, Immanuel Kant, William James. Aristotle made various claims that many people accept as what constitutes metaphysics today. So he was very influential in metaphysics. This is one of them is identifying the fundamental categories of being, which aims at identifying the essence or nature of a particular thing. And another way from, from Aristotle is studying the origins of causes or the first order of things, which is why God is such a prominent concept or topic in metaphysics. Immanuel Kant, he believed that metaphysics was mainly concerned about God and our freedom and that we can only gain knowledge of these concepts if it is synthetic a priori knowledge. So in future episodes, I will zoom in on the general or specific nature of metaphysics to get a better understanding. The topic for this episode is being and ontology. Ontology is the branch of philosophy that deals with the study of the nature of being. In other words, it is the study of fundamental nature of things, what that thing really is. So ontologists would provide, would try to provide accounts for uh, the things of things that exist or would ask if concepts like numbers, relations, material objects, if these things really exist. And if they do exist, what are their characteristics or essence? What is it that exists and how that thing exists? Uh, there is a metaphysical argument that was posited by Plato that is used to explore this topic, a very famous one, and that is the allegory of the cave. The allegory of the cave uh, just provides different degrees or levels of interpretation that attempt to differentiate between uh, appearance and reality to, with an ultimate goal of obtaining truth. So reality, if reality for different philosophers means different things and for Parmenides it's, it is perfect and complete. So this idea of being, it is indestructible, it's unchanging, and it just simply exists. There is just there is only what is, and there is no non-being or any other state except being. So it's indestructible, it's unchanging, it's eternal, there's just being. 
But Plato, on the other hand, is dualistic. So for him, he describes the world of becoming, which is the world that is continuously changing, and the and then there's the world of being, which is the world that is changeless and perfect and eternal. For uh, for Plato, the world of becoming is really the world of senses and experiences. So we as humans, we only understand what we have seen. And that's what we display in our everyday lives. That's the world. That's the world of becoming. So we, we know we understand life cycles, natural laws. And because it's always changing, we cannot get knowledge from it. How, how, for Plato, how can you get knowledge of something that is always, that's always changing? So it's, today it's one reality and then tomorrow it's, it's different. So therefore, we can only get knowledge from the perfect world which is reality which is actual reality and this reality is known as the world of forms the form is independent of the mind and this is the essence of what a thing is so to if you're going to define form it's like whatever that thing is that essence that makes up that thing what how do you know that a chair is a chair or whatever it is that thing it's that is its form but for aristotle things can be explained through naturalism for him everything is as simple as it seems so there's an alternate supreme there's no alternate or supreme or perfect reality for Aristotle. there's only what we know nothing exists outside of space and time nothing exists in you know transcendental transcendental realm or anything like that as human beings we behave according to natural laws and as such we have good we have a good understanding of how humans behave and how the natural world functions and i think i am in agreement with aristotle really because anything any idea that we have of anything our, our perfection is really is really ideas because that's what we know and you know there's no proof to say that okay there is uh now there's a world of form and i mean i guess you could agree that there's to some degree there is an there's an idea of perfection but i i can't say that i believe that there's okay there's another realm where all these perfect things exist events um, this topic is mainly concerned with the relation of ideas and we can explore two major philosophers with this with this topic and that's David Hume and Aristotle so let's say for example you shake a branch of a tree and then all the fruits fall off let's say cherries can you say then that there is uh, no real connection between those two events? So between you shaking the tree and then all the cherries falling off. Can you say that there's no a real connection between, between them? Well, throughout our lives, we, we come to believe that an event is caused by another. So our minds automatically link two events as as one causing the other because it is what customarily happened in the past 
and because of past experiences we would naturally believe that shaking the tree uh, causes the fruits to fall off but david hume uh, advises us to not always assume that an event is the true cause of the other we should assume that we can uh, know with cert- we can we shouldn't assume that we can know with certainty uh, the cause of any event what there is though is there is correlation correlation comes in so he's saying that not because i shook the tree i shouldn't um i shouldn't automatically assume that that's why the cherries fell off but there is a correlation between those two uh between those two events and for aristotle he he says that causation is um is like the why so knowledge is Knowledge is have if you have when you have knowledge you have knowledge of the cause, or for for um, David Hume you don't have knowledge of the cause really you don't we just assume that you know what causes the what caused the cherries to fall off the tree that's the real cause. And Aristotle is saying that we have knowledge, um, when we have knowledge of the cause. And he he gave uh, four four accounts for the causes, and that's the material cause, the formal cause, the efficient cause, and the final cause. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about minds and machines, dualists. They claim that human beings are not just physical substance. They believe that we are made up of uh, a spiritual aspect. So they think that everyone, they believe that everyone has a mind or a soul or a spirit or or any material uh, substance. So assuming that there is a mind, it is essential to find out its functions. And for me, I think our minds facilitate thought and it gives us some sense of identifying ourselves, some ability to identify ourselves and, or, or to reflect. And it allows us to reason and it allows for intentionality. So I can sit here or anywhere, be anywhere in the world, but my mind, my mind is actually somewhere else, somewhere else enjoying some delicious food or somewhere else in a place that, you know, that everyone wants to go. And the mind, but the mind and the body are two separate entities, but they still interact. And there are things, however, there are things that the mind does that can be carried out in a much quicker time by machines. For example, solving math problems and, you know, they're more precise and things like that. On the other hand, there are other things that the mind is fully capable of, of doing, but the machine, the machine will always fall short. And so I'm talking about concepts like uh, sentience or emotion and, and reasoning. So, but Alan Turing, uh, he predicted that by the year 2000, computers will be able to produce answers that are identical to those of humans. 
He claimed that the machine would be so intelligent that it could trick any human being into thinking that it is also a human, that it's also a human being. And that is really the aim of uh, artificial intelligence. It's really to mimic human intelligence or to be close as close to human intelligence as possible. But we have not been able as humans we have not been able to you know achieve that. We haven't been able to create that kind of machine even though you know we've come we've come close sometimes. But that's because we are um we're yet to discover how a completely material substance could interact with another substance that is completely immaterial. So human beings are born with abstract concepts that we are still we are still unable to explain how it functions. We don't know how we have conscious we can't explain consciousness, we can't explain sentience, we can't I mean we can't explain but we cannot duplicate it because it's not something it's not something that um that we can create. Uh, we cannot duplicate um, these qualities into a machine. And I think that's why we haven't been able to... That's why this strong, strong, strong artificial intelligence hasn't been possible. The next topic is the question of God's existence and the problem of evil uh this this is one of the most uh contr- one of the most controversial topics or arguments in philosophy and i think uh it's like a stigma that's attached to philosophy you know in, in terms of defining determining the existence or non-existence of of god and so many philosophers have tried to in their own ways explain if God exists or trying to in inside their arguments try to put God somewhere in there just to not say that he doesn't exist trying to prove his existence and one famous uh, philosopher who argues the existence of God is Thomas Aquinas and he gave five arguments to prove that to prove that God exists argument number 1 is argument from motion so everything that is moving, according to the argument of motion, everything that is moving must, must have been set in, into motion by something else that was moving. And if this argument remains as it is, then there would be a problem of infinite regress because then there will be always something that's moving to set, to set something that's mo- moving again. So for this argument, he would need uh, an origin or a first mover and that's where his uh, his cosmological argument comes in. That his con- cosmological argument number two it accounts for the universe, and it says that everything that's moving must have had a first mover, and an ultimate cause for everything. In other words, there must be an uncaused cause that gave rise to the existence of other things. Argument number three is the argument from contingency or necessity. And this argument states that there must be a necessary being, a being that will always that has always existed and will always exist. And there can't be only contingent beings because then there would be infinite regress, and you know that infinite regress is impossible. 
So there must be at least one necessary beings. The fourth argument is the argument from gradation. And as the name says, gradation is almost like having and almost like an argument from a measuring stick. So to understand the value of things, we use a measuring stick. And at the top of the stick, there is perfection and there is good. And you know, the bottom at the bottom of the stick would be the opposite. So the measurements go down to the lowest imperfection or the lowest evil or whatever and we understand so we would understand goodness based on the ultimate good and god is all perfect and god the god and the good would um would be at the top so those are the the top influences are what affect you know the top things are what influences our our reality or how we live and the fifth one is intelligent design. And this is an argument from purpose or teleology. So when you think about design, you think about intention. And when you think about intention, you think about purpose. And when you think about purpose, you think about an intelligent being. You think about someone that uh, purposefully placed all things in order with uh, specific laws and everything. But even with all these um, arguments, we still have a problem, and that is the problem of evil. So Thomas Aquinas, among other, uh, among other philosophers, their belief in God was based on a well-known attributes, and these attribute, attributes are omniscience, omnipotent, and omnibenevolent, omnitemporal, omnipresent. But... If all these qualities are true, if God does have all these qualities, then there isn't an explanation for uh, the existence of evil. And some some other you know, theists would say that um, God doesn't create evil, but evil exists because of free will. And there are arguments, uh, you know, for um, about the idea of God, but it still remains a mystery. And so does the problem of evil. Because if evil is not going to exist, then we have to strip God of one of those divine attributes. So he can't be, maybe he's not all good. Maybe he really isn't always there. Maybe he's not omnibenevolent. Maybe he's not all powerful. So we still don't understand that fully. But in this argument, in this whole topic of you know, problem of evil and stuff. And when we talk about morality, we think about life and death and the afterlife. And definitely our ideas, our beliefs about the afterlife is influenced by um, influenced by our religion or our way of life. And, you know, what we think is good is influenced by our moral choices. So in life, you do good because you want to have, you want to reach, achieve a, one of the good afterlife you want to go to heaven or whatever that whatever the particular religion to which you ascribe says you go to heaven or you know if you do bad then you'll go to hell or you'll suffer eternal damnation or or you know whatever the religious whatever your religious beliefs are The last topic is the decline and 
resurgence of speculative metaphysics. So this topic uh, really is about the is about logical positivism and its contributions to the redefinition of metaphysics. And I think history and context plays an important role. You know the context in which philosopher philosophers make made um, certain claims, the context and the history and the time period, it makes a huge difference, you know, in understanding this redefinition. So you can take a broader general approach, uh, like, like ontology, which is old metaphysics, you know, that deals with first cause and uh, things that don't change. Or you can take a more contemporary approach, which is uh, new ph- new metaphysics and our current perspective on metaphysics is influenced by the advent of science so contemporary metaphysicians concern themselves with topics like nature the nature of space and time mind and body the mind and body problem of uh, causality and free will but what uh, positivists are trying to do is ask if uh, you know there can be a balance you know they want to iron out philosophical issues so we should try to get to a point of understanding that ex- that explores um, meta- that explores metaphysics in both both ancient times and ev- and now that so the shift occurred during the Renaissance and Enlightenment period and an important development was made in 1700s, 1800s from the continental rationalist, rationalist who differentiated from general and specific metaphysics, which is what I mentioned earlier. So the general metaphysics is more like ontology and, you know, being and those kind of ancient philosophy that doesn't really help us in the real world today and specific metaphysics just deals with um attacking certain problems that you know that everybody can can think about and that's really the purpose of uh logical of logical positivists of positivists uh with wittgenstein he acknowledges uh, metaphysic that metaphysical questions could not be answered using language so he's he's saying that there are certain things that you know our language just can't explain you know there are certain things there are certain transcendental problems and so there those are problems of transcendent transcendental world not ours our language can't really explain some of these things not that he was against uh you know metaphysical questions but he's just you know saying that some things we can't answer so what uh the redefinition of metaphysics is just really we're just trying to find that balance between old metaphysics and you know the real world today how you know how to make philosophy how to make philosophy better for us you know probably taking a pragmatic approach to metaphysics